text today is from the book of James. It's in the bulletin, and I'm not going to get to it until about halfway through the sermon. So uh, you'll know when I start. I want to do a pretty lengthy intro that I think will help when we read the text for you to understand it. Um, this is my own concept. I'm working on this. Um, but we'll see if it makes sense to you. Okay? This is the God Share. I don't think anybody's ever talked about the God Share before, but it is based on a lot of biblical principles that I'm not going to spell out in too much detail, but I want you to kind of understand the concept here. I believe when we were created in the book of Genesis, we were created with a space for God. We were created to need God, to be around God, and for God to be important. In fact, the, the text does a whole lot of work to try to describe how careful God is when he creates human beings. That he creates them in his image, that rather than speaking, he creates Adam with his hand, he creates Eve out of Adam. He is very intentional about how he creates human beings. Adam and Eve, both together. And that we were meant in our lives to have a space for God. That each of us has a God chair. A place that God is supposed to sit in our lives. And, and I, I put a couple words up here that I think can articulate with this space that God is supposed to keep in our lives. One is to glorify. To glory, to, the glory of something um, is, is the, the divine essence of it. Okay, so when you look up at the stars on a beautiful night, and you see this imprint of God's creation in it, you're recognizing some kind of glory. And when we glorify God the way we were meant to do, we reflect back God's glory. We are like mirrors. And we're made in the image of God. Okay, not that we look like God, but somehow in our lives, we reflect God's goodness and God's divine characteristics. That we were meant to glorify God when God is sitting in the God chair. Form identity. If you, if you look really carefully in Genesis, and I think I'm going to preach on the first couple chapters of Genesis here later in the year. When you, when you look there, what you find is Adam and Eve are so secure in who they are that they're naked and they're not ashamed. Naked and not ashamed. That their identity, who they are, is so wrapped up in who God is, they're not even worried about their weaknesses. They're so secure in being made in the image of God and continuing God's work in this world that it doesn't matter to them that they're naked, that they have flaws. God makes them good. He doesn't make them perfect. So your, your identity is supposed to be formed out of who you are with God. And we know this because as soon as they sin, as soon as they fall in the text... They hide from God. Suddenly their identity is broken. Sacrifice. We were meant to sacrifice for God. To give of our lives for God's purposes. Be fruitful and multiply, God says. That we were supposed to create other human beings. We're supposed to have childbirth. But we're also supposed to do something. At first in the garden and then in the rest of the world. To, to cultivate. To create we're doing the work of God and we're meant to sacrifice and give ourselves to God's purposes. We're supposed to give our love and our allegiance to God. God is supposed to be number one. In fact, the Ten Commandments start out with this idea, right? No other gods before Him. We're supposed to owe God our love and our allegiance. And it's also corporate. You notice in the Genesis text, 
Adam and Eve are created together. Male and female, he created them in, their, in, in God's likeness. We were supposed to do things together. It's not good for man to be alone. And so I believe that we all have this God chair. We're all wired. Every human being on the planet is wired to have a space in their life that is the God chair. The place where God is supposed to sit and do these things for us. But what happens in the Bible is it, we get broken. We have a fall. And what is the temptation in the fall? If you eat of this fruit, you will be like God. And so what Adam and Eve do is they put themselves in the God chair. I'm going to not do things God's way. I'm going to do things my way. Except there's a problem with that. The problem is that we were never supposed to put ourselves in the God chair. We're designed to have something other than us fill the God chair. And so you know what we do? We fill the God chair with other things. In ancient times, and even in parts of the world today, they would literally do this with an idol. You would create a statue that would sit in the God chair. Maybe it was the God chair of your neighborhood. Some, some faiths would even be the God chair in your living room. You would have this idol sort of sitting there that you worship, that you glorify, that forms your identity, that you sacrifice to, that you did things corporately, either as a family or as a community, worshiping that God, that you showed your love and your allegiance to. In fact, cultures would go so far as to sacrifice their children to, to cut themselves so that they bled on the altar to their idols. Sacrifice of their grain and of their animals. You get this whole system, and, and we think that looks pretty foolish. We see in the Bible all kinds of stuff about idols. Paul was dealing with it a lot. Uh, the Old Testament talks about it a lot. It's in the Ten Commandments there. Um, but the book of Ezekiel says something very interesting. It says that we actually create idols in our hearts. That we form idols. So an idol doesn't have to be a physical thing. It can be anything good in our lives that we put in the God chair. Anything good that we put in the place that only God was meant to sit in. Going to give us problems. So let me, let me give some examples. Let's try to flesh this out. Um, sports is a big one. And it's an easy one to pick on. So I'm going to pick on it. Okay? Can sports sit in the God chair in our lives? Yeah. Yeah, it sure can. We, can. we can do a lot of things, right? You think we would glorify sports? Yeah, we, we wear all kinds of Steelers stuff, right? You have people that just wear, like all they wear is Pittsburgh sports team stuff. They're literally always reflecting that. Always, on their person somehow, reflecting something about their team. You think it forms your identity? Yeah, I'm a Steelers fan, and this is Steelers country. And I bleed black and gold. I mean, think about that phrase for a second. I bleed. My lifeblood is black and gold. That is a strong, strong statement. Do I sacrifice for my team? Yeah. You ever go to one game, you're going to be sacrificing a ton, right? Because you've got to park. You've got to buy tickets. You gotta buy beverages and food there. It can be a very expensive. If if we all tithed like people spend when they go to Steelers games, we'd be in great shape around here. Yeah, you schedule your life around when the games are. That's sacrifice. Love and allegiance? Yeah. Would you ever cheer for the Browns? No way. You got your love and your allegiance for that thing. You think it, it, it's corporate too, right? 
I'm not just a Steelers fan, I'm part of Steelers Nation. I mean, think about that language of identity with a community. In fact, think about how much sports games actually reflect, look a lot like churches. I mean, they're in these big stadiums. You have certain times you're supposed to sit, certain times you're supposed to stand. You've got this whole liturgy that you start every game with, right? National anthem, announcing the players. There's a certain rhythm, a certain liturgy to that. Even Presbyterians clap and yell at a Steelers game. <laughs> Let's pick another one. What about the mall? The mall is an interesting place, right? Um, because uh, the mall can represent all kinds of stuff for us. The possessions that we want, the, uh, maybe, maybe really what's sitting in the God chair when we're at the mall is the opinion of others. It can be a lot of different things. But think about it. Do we glorify things from the mall? Yeah, I know people that only wear certain brands, and they got to wear that brand, and you don't just like kind of wear a brand, right? If you're wearing that brand, you, the, the logo is like huge. You got to wear certain brands, does it form your identity? Yeah, certain stores get a certain kind of loyalty. Do you, uh, are you more, I mean, you walk around the mall and look in the windows and look at how much they are promises of good things. If you wear this, you can see this happy person. Like, I want that swimsuit, because I want to look like that. That's the whole promise of advertising. Do we sacrifice? Yeah, in fact, if you really think about it, um, cash registers are really set up like altars. I mean, the only thing that looks like a, the, where you go to pay is an altar. You lay down, and I know people who are so indebted because of their credit cards and because of all those trips to the mall. They are slaves to the credit card company. You think people are sacrificing for stuff at the mall? All the time. Is it corporate? Yeah. You don't want to just go to the mall. You want to go to the mall with other people. You meet people there. You walk around. And little people, they're in groups. Like little herds walking around at the mall. Now listen. Is the mall, is the mall fine? Yeah, the mall is not a bad place. I like to go there. I like the Chinese food place there. Like, there's nothing wrong with the mall. Is it okay to like the Steelers? Yeah, it's all, I love the Steelers. It's all right. But when things in our lives that are good things start sitting in the God chair, we've got problems. With things that are, are, are in our lives that are good things, that they turn into ultimate things where we start to build our whole identity around them instead of in God, we have problems. And, and even though they're good things, they never can fill the God chair. The God chair is too big. Only God can fill the God chair. You will never spend enough to get the happiness you can get in God because you just can't. You're just never going to be able to. Do people put work in the God chair? Yeah. We don't sacrifice our children anymore, but I know plenty of people who never see their children because they're working so hard. I know people who put, instead of sacrificing their kids, they make their kids ultimate. So their whole life is based around their children or around making their spouse happy. I got news for you. They're going to let you down. Church can be an idol. Even goodness. I'm going to be a good and caring person. If that takes the place of God, if what I'm ultimately just trying to do is be good, then I've got problems because I'm never going to be good enough to fill the God chair. They're good things, but they don't work as ultimate things. It's very hard for us to see. In fact, I'm convinced that most Christians walk around with a lot of other stuff 
fighting for the God chair and not even realize that they're doing it. Your idols will always let you down. The chair is too big. In fact, historically, it's been said that we are like idol factories. That what we do is we just create idols all the time. And we can make idols out of almost anything. So now we're in James chapter 4. James chapter 4 is is, uh, not going to, we're just in the first 12 verses, it's not going to use the language of idolatry the way that I am at all. But I think as we read it now with this context, you're going to see what James is getting at a lot easier. So, first couple of verses. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war with you, within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. What's James saying here? There's a lot of there's a lot of quarrels, there's a lot of fights in this world about all kinds of stuff. But they are all reflections of the fight going on in your own heart. The fight of the God chair. It's your passions are against you. And so when you start getting into all these other idols, you end up starting to abuse other people to get what you want. And it doesn't work out. And so, this, this last verse is amazing. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passion. So you don't even ask God for stuff. You just try to do everything you can to get what you want. And then when you do ask God, you ask wrongly because you're asking for your passions. Everybody, God is not going to give you what you're putting in the place of God in your life. You might as well not ask. If he does, it's one of the worst things that's going to ever happen to you. One of the terrible things in your life is when you actually get your idol and you realize how disappointing it is. Sometimes God does that to us. Let us have what we want because we finally beg him to give it to us. Now, God's, God's not obligated to give you your idols. He's supposed to inhabit the God chair. So be careful when you ask God that you're asking God for what he wants. And our prayers that we pray here are full of that. Thy will be done. Right? All right, let's keep going. I just want to read these next three words. You adulterous people. Everybody remember the song, uh, Your Cheating Heart? Remember that? That old song? That's what James is referring to here. And it's a pretty strong biblical theme. In fact, he's using the nice words. Okay? Uh, the Old Testament uses language of prostitution. That you sell yourself to something other than God when you cheat on yourself. He just says adultery here. That you're cheating on God. You're cheating on God when he doesn't get to sit in the God chair and somebody or something else does. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose... It is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. Okay, what's James saying here? He's saying you're supposed to have God in the God chair. And God gets rightly jealous when he's not there. God deserves to be there. He wants to be there. He made you so that he would be there. And he gets jealous when your spirit doesn't do what he designed for you to do. But, verse 6, he gives more grace. 
Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Now, now this, this verse sounds at first like uh, bad news. Like you're supposed to be mourned and, and supposed to be miserable. That is not Jesus' point at all. Because he says, but God gives more grace. You cheated on God, and you put someone else in the God chair. And you know what God gives you in return? More grace. Come on back. Come on home. I'm willing to sit in the God chair again. If you humble yourself, I'm willing to lift you up. And so I don't think this is saying that you're supposed to... I think there's a need for us to be mournful. Mourning our sin, mourning our losses, mourning how broken the world is. But, but I think the, the, the real thing we need to do is mourn the loss of our idols. Mourn the things that, that aren't going to get us there. Because He will lift you up. And the Bible says that your mourning will be turned to dancing. That joy comes in the morning. That God has more for you than what you're finding. And so mourning the loss of something that was ultimately an idol is not that bad of a thing. Last two verses. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. So James is going back to his point about corporateness again. About how the things in your heart are breaking the people around you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? When you treat others badly, you make it very clear that God is not in the God chair of your life. Because if God is in the God chair of your life, then you have a different view of the people around you. You're not just out to get what you want, you're out to get what God wants, and God cares about those people that are around you. You reflect poorly on God's word. This is what happens when we have idols. We turn on everybody around us. And our society is full of this. And if you look in every debate about every issue that's going on right now, everybody's out to get each other. Because that's what idols do. i got to get ahead by getting ahead on somebody else. See, if God's in the God chair, though, I'm fine. I can be comfortable. We can talk about issues without having to fight about issues. We don't have to brawl about stuff. Because my identity isn't built up in winning or losing or in getting or not getting. My identity is built up in Christ. Because Christ is in the God chair. So the question for you today is, what's, what's in your God chair? And it's a question that as a Christian you have to ask all the time. Because in so many subtle ways we can buy into what the world tells us and put other things as ultimate in our lives. Even good things. We've got to have God be ultimate. We've got to have Christ be our identity and who we find all of our security in. And so that if anything else in my life falls away, I still have that. Let's pray. Lord, it is so hard for us to see who is sitting in the God chair for us. And so speak to those here that we may know where we need to make corrections.
that we may humble ourselves, and we thank you that you give more grace.